as I was praying about coming to you guys this week, I, I didn't have anything in mind. And, and about five or six days ago, I just prayed and I said, Lord, please give me something for this weekend. You know, what's going on? And I went to bed and I had this dream. And in this dream, I saw myself speaking and I was saying, there is a place, there is a place. And people were getting touched by the Holy Spirit. So I'm hoping that happens. We'll see. Um, so anyway, I woke up and I thought, hmm, okay, I, I think I know where the Lord's going with that. So I'm going to share that with you guys today and we'll see how it comes across. And so this one's going to be a little bit of a, an interactive thing. And I need, have we got 11 people that will volunteer to read a scripture? Can you look up Psalm 7850? And can you look up Ecclesiastes 7.9? Um, can you look up Proverbs 7.27, uh, Proverbs 14.11, yeah. um, Proverbs 15.25, uh, Proverbs 17.13, um, Ecclesiastes 7.4, Proverbs 22.5, okay, we need three more, um, Proverbs 21.6, Ecclesiastes 7.26, Right, and one more, Matthew 4.16. Thanks. So as I woke up from the stream and I was thinking about this phrase, there's a place, there's a place, I realized what the Lord was talking about. And he's, he's speaking about metaphors. And oftentimes in the body of Christ, we read the Word of God and occasionally there's, there's a tendency for us to take some things that are figurative, literal, and some th things that are Literal, sometimes we take figuratively and, and we get it back to front. And I just wanted to talk a little bit about that and then mention some places that God speaks of as metaphors that I believe are actually states of the heart. And, and we're going to talk about that a little bit. So throughout the Bible, God uses metaphors and he speaks prophetically through them. Sometimes he's talking about a place in the natural or in the spirit, um, but he may be talking about a state of attitude of the heart. And for those of you that don't know, a metaphor is a figure of speech in which a word or phrase is applied to an object or an action to which it is not literally applicable. Second definition, a thing regarded as representative or symbolic of something else. So, for example, you know, sometimes we refer to countries as Russia, for example, is, is known as the Great Bear. We say the Great Bear of Russia or the American Eagle. And, you know, America is not really literally an eagle, but they've chosen that as their national symbol, you know, like we've chosen the emu and the kangaroo. And so that, that animal comes to represent them. But it's not... It's not as though there's a spirit of an eagle over the Americans. The eagle represents something. It's the attributes of that animal that, um, that are the keys that w for what we're looking for. And as I was thinking about this, I just I thought of you. And I thought, um, you know, Mark, if I said Mark is, Mark is a lion, he's an ox, straight away, yeah, yeah, you'd know what I'm talking about. If I said, man, you're a lion. You know, instantly, that, what does that convey? That conveys that he's courageous, he's bold, he's ferocious, he's, he's protective. 
You know, all those things that we imagine about a lion, when you use that kind of imagery, straight away you know what somebody's talking about without having to go into detail and describe every single attribute. And same thing, you know, if I said, man, you're like an ox. Now, that can be taken either of two ways. In the good sense, you know, if we say somebody's an ox, you know, we're saying, man, you're big, you're strong, you're, um, what's another word? You're secure, there's security in you. And, and, you know, sometimes the Lord will speak that way to us about people. And, you know, for example, um, oftentimes when we're praying for people, sometimes we get words of knowledge and we might see a particular animal over someone. And it's not that there's literally um, a spirit of an animal over them. Sometimes there is. That's another story. We'll go there later. But, but generally what the Lord is trying to show us is that that, that animal represents something. And it's often the attributes of that, that are represented by that animal that are affecting that person. So uh, frequently, you know, sometimes when you're praying for people with depression, you might see a black cloud or you might see a, a black panther or some kind of black dog, for example. And um, for those of you that uh, have been around for a while, you know, sometimes depression is referred to as the black dog. So... You know, God uses those things within our culture to speak to us. Um, another example from Scripture is like, um, there's a place in the Psalms where it says, a mighty fortress is our God. Now, is God literally a fortress? No, he's a person. But his personhood contains and exhibits all the attributes of a fortress. You know, what does a fortress do? It, it's, got, it's got these massive high walls that can't be penetrated. And, you know... Arrows are shooting out from behind it, and it's a, it's a defensive mechanism so that the people that are inside that fortress are protected and kept safe. And so God has all those attributes, and when, when we say God's a mighty fortress, that's what we're saying to him. We're saying, you're my protector. You're my provider. You keep me safe in the midst of the storm. You protect me from the arrows and the onslaught coming against me. You are my fortress. So, having said that, God frequently uses these metaphors about places to refer to states of the heart. The place where the heart dwells determines the state of the person. And you know from Proverbs it says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So whatever you think about yourself, whatever you believe about yourself in your heart, that's what's going to come out of you. That's what's going to be manifested in your life. You know, if you're, if you're down and depressed in your heart, that's going to show in your actions, in your choices, in, in the words that you speak, in what you say, what you do. If you're full of joy in your heart, then that's going to come out as well. It's going to be exhibited in your relationships, in the way that you encourage people, in the way that you interact at work, and people get a good feeling, a good vibe around you, because your heart is in that state. Jesus said, out of the heart the mouth speaks. And he also said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So he begins using that metaphor of your heart being in the place of the treasure that you desire. And there is a place where our heart dwells where God does not want it to dwell. And so that's what we're going to read out now. So let's start over here with Psalm 7850. So one of the places that you don't want to be is in the path of God's anger, Right? If your heart is in that path, that means somehow you've gotten into wickedness, idolatry, you know, you name it, everything that God says not to do. And if you're on that path, 
there's anger coming for you. Get off the path. Go somewhere else. All right, next one. Uh, do not hasten in your spirit to be angry, for angry anger rests in the bosom of fools. All right, so there's another place in the lap of the fool. So you don't, you don't want your heart in that place where you're openly inviting anger because God's saying if you do that, it's like you're residing in the lap of a fool, all right? Her house is a highway to the grave leading down to the chambers of death. All right, that's a pretty powerful one. Now, if you go into the house of, of an, for those of you that know the context of the scripture, he's talking about adultery, sexual immorality. And is it the house that's the problem? No. It's the relationship. It's the immorality. It's crossing the moral boundary that God has set. So the house is a metaphor describing that. If you're in her house, you're in that state of immorality with this man or this woman that God has said, nope, don't do that. All right. Proverbs 14.11, the house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will, be, will flourish. There we go. So again, he uses the metaphor of being in the house of the wicked. So it's when the heart is in the state of wickedness. Go ahead. Uh, Proverbs 15.25, the Lord will destroy the house of the proud, but he will establish the boundaries of the widow. All right. And so here again, the metaphor of the house, but now he's talking about pride. When your heart is engaged in pride, it's like you're in the house of the proud. And there's bad news for that one. The Lord's going to tear it down. All right. Evil, evil will never leave the house of one who pays back evil for good. All right. So here the Lord, again, is using the metaphor of the house, but now he's talking about, you know, people have, have been kind to you, but yet out of your own hurt, out of your own wounds, Maybe you've responded in evil back towards them. And God's saying, you know, don't live in that state. Don't live in that house because if you do, you're going to invite evil back upon yourself and it's not going to leave. All right. Ecclesiastes 7.4. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the, the, the heart of the fools is in the house of pleasure. Okay. Again, the metaphor of the house. This time he's talking about mourning. So what, what's the attribute of mourning that, that, that God is um, considering here that is, is beneficial, that's good? Can anyone guess what it might be? Like normally we wouldn't consider mourning to be a good place to be in. But look, he's, he's, he's opposing this against the house of pleasure. So what is it about mourning? Yes, that's what, that's what I think it is. I think... When you're in the house of mourning, you're in a very sober state. You know, you might be somber. You might be a bit, you know, under, under, but, but you're thinking clearly and you're, you're thinking about long term. You know, when somebody passes away, you, often we begin to think about eternity. You know, we begin to think about the state of our soul. We're reflective. And so the house of mourning represents being in a, a sober state, a reflective state, a state where you can see the need of your own heart and your own life, as opposed to being in the house of pleasure. All right. What's the next one there? Proverbs 22.5. Who's got that one? Yep. So thorns and snares are in the way of the crooked. Whoever guards his soul will keep far from them. All right. So now he's, he's using the metaphor of the snare. And you don't want to be in the place where a snare is. And he's talking about general wickedness. 
you know, lying, stealing, sexual immorality, um, you name it, idolatry. All right, Proverbs 21.6. Amen. So again, the metaphor of the snare. You don't want your foot ensnared through lies. Ecclesiastes 7.26. Amen. So again, he's talking about sexual immorality here. And this could be, you know, he could be talking about a man or a woman here. It's not, it's not gender specific. I find more bitter than death, the woman or the man who is a snare, whose heart is a trap, and whose hands are chains. And listen to the metaphors he's using here. He's calling, he's calling it a snare, a trap, chains. You don't want your heart in that place. You don't want your heart in the place of, you know, sex outside of marriage, homosexuality, um, and we could go on. There's other things we might not want to talk about publicly, but um, you get the idea. You don't want to be in that place. The man or woman who pleases God will escape her or him or whatever sort of sexual indiscretion it is. But the one who falls into it will be ensnared. All right, Matthew four, sixteen. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Amen. So here Matthew is quoting from Isaiah, and God's using the metaphor of living in darkness. And if your heart is in that place of darkness, it's where you haven't seen the light of Christ. You haven't realized that Jesus is Lord, that there's a, a pathway of righteousness, there's a pathway that leads to life, and there's a path that leads to death. But he's giving this promise that on those people who have been in darkness in their soul, now the light has come. All right, so those are the places where God doesn't want us to be, right? Right. He doesn't want us in the snares, in the house of the wicked, so on and so on. He doesn't want us in darkness. Come out, says the Lord. Come out from among them. There's a place where God shows us how to get out. In Isaiah 40, verse 3 to 5, God talks about our heart going to a place that will set us free from being in these other places. And I'll, I'll read this out to you. It says, A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So what's the metaphor that he's using there? Yep, he's talking about the way of the Lord. Prepare a highway in the desert. Now, when we know from reading the New Testament, we know this is talking about John the Baptist. We know Jesus said very clearly, John is the Elijah who was to come. We know John said, I am the voice crying in the wilderness. Now, when John went out into the desert to preach, did he actually make a literal highway? No. Did he raise up any valleys or lower any mountains? No. But figuratively speaking, spiritually speaking, how did he, he did do that, and how did he do it? What did he call the people to do? To repent. In Matthew 3, verse 1, 5 through 6, he came out preaching and he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. 
And I just find it interesting, the, the parallel passages about John the Baptist. Listen to what it says in Mark 1, 4, 5. It's really similar. It says, And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Luke 3, 3 and 8. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And then he said to the people, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So there's this place that the Lord talks about in Isaiah called the way of the Lord, the highway in the desert. And the way that you get on that road is through confession, repentance, forgiveness, being baptized into the family of God, being born again. When John came, it was a big deal. And that's why I read these three um, parallel passages out. It says that all of Judea and Jerusalem went out to him. You know, sometimes when we hear about John the Baptist, we go, oh, yeah, that was a nice prophetic touch before Jesus came along. Thanks, God. That was cool. That was very poetic, and that's good. But it was more than that. You know, Isaiah said that he had to prepare the way of the Lord. And sometimes I sit and I think to myself, you know, what would Jesus' ministry have looked like if John hadn't come? Because the Bible says he had to come. It, It wasn't an option. It wasn't like just a nice optional touch. He had to prepare the people through confession, repentance, forgiveness, and baptism. And personally, I reckon that Jesus' ministry was as powerful as it was because John preceded him. And oftentimes, those of you that Um, that do prayer ministry, often like 90% of our time praying is often spent in confession, repentance, forgiveness, and then we pray for healing or then we do the commanding out. But you notice in Jesus' ministry, oftentimes when he's praying for the demonized, he's going up to them and he's going, come out. And straight away it's happening. Why do you think that is? I reckon it's because I can't prove it as an absolute fact, but it says all Judea, all of Jerusalem went out to John to be baptized and they repented, they confessed their sins. So they were prepared. There was a whole mass of people that was prepared for Jesus to come and just lay hands on them and go, come out, be healed. You know, what if we, what if we did that? What if we lived like that? What if we lived in a state of our heart a place in our heart before the Lord where we were on the highway, how much more would we see? How much, more, how much easier would it be when we're praying for healing, praying for deliverance, etc., etc.? I think we'd see an increase. And I know that in, in congregations where I've been in, where, where there's been an emphasis on you know, having your heart right before the Lord, a lot of times these things are happening very quickly healing, miracles, etc. Anyway, food for thought. Think about that. Okay. Now John called the people to the highway of holiness, the highway in the desert, the way prepared for the Lord by calling them to repentance through confession and baptism. That was the means of getting them onto the highway. That was the means of the heart changing place from the snare, the house of the wicked, the place of darkness, onto the highway. The means of the heart getting onto that highway, confession, repentance, forgiveness, baptism, belief in the Lord. Now, in Job 28, 7, 8, it says, there is a place, 
that there's a path that no eye has seen, no ear has heard of. The lion's cub has not been on. No eye of an eagle has seen. No man has walked on it. And this is the path that John declared. Nobody could see the path where John was out in the desert. It wasn't a literal path. It wasn't something you could see with your eyes, your natural eyes. You had to perceive it with the eyes of your heart, right? You had to perceive that there was a road leading to God. And you had to perceive with your heart that the way to get on that road was through what John was teaching. This path, this highway, was the path of righteousness. And this path is a person. Remember what Jesus said? I am the way. And that word way can also be translated as path. I am the way. I am the path, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. We're just bringing it into close here. There is a place. Jesus and Isaiah mention that runs concurrently alongside the highway of holiness. So once you've listened to the words prophetically of John, and your heart has transferred from the place of darkness to the highway of holiness, there's something that runs alongside that highway. And this is where Jesus wants to take us. Isaiah 43, 19 through 21. Listen to what the Lord says here through Isaiah. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Now listen, here it is. I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beast will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. And Jesus said in John 7:38, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly or out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this is what he said about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. So we're transferring from one place to another. There is a place of, of darkness. There's a place of holiness and righteousness. And there's a place where the river is flowing. And I believe the Lord is wanting to release our hearts deeper into the river. And I want to read something to you guys from Isaiah 35. And we're going to close with this. There is a place in the desert and the parched land where it will be glad. In the wilderness, there will be rejoicing and it will blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord and the splendor of our God. And for these next bits, I want to invite you guys to stand up because these are the promises of God. And I just, I believe, I'm hoping with all my heart that that God's going to minister to you guys through this. Because oftentimes when I read through Isaiah, it just, he just goes straight to my heart and I just burst into tears sometimes. But Father, I ask right now just that you release the power of the promises that you spoke prophetically through Isaiah about being on the highway of holiness and about what would happen when we get into the river of God. There is a place where the feeble hands 
are strengthened, where the knees that give way are steadied. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. And there is a place where the eyes of the blind will be opened, where the ears of the deaf will be unstopped, where the lame will leap like a deer, and the mute tongue will shout for joy. There is a place where water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert, where the burning sand will become a pool and the thirsty ground the bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will, will grow. And there is a place, there is a highway that will be there, and it will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in that way. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor will any ferocious beast get up on it. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. And there is a place where gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Father, I thank you that you have prepared this place for us. Lord, I thank you that this place is a state of the heart that we can experience and that we can live in. Lord, I thank you that the way of holiness is open to everyone who will enter in. Lord, I thank you that the promises that you've released in Isaiah are for us, that the promises of the river of life are for people right here, right now. And I want to ask you, as you've listened to this today, I, I want to challenge you and ask you, you know, what place is your heart in? Is your heart in the place of being ensnared? Is your heart in the place of the house of the wicked? Is your heart in the place of darkness? Or maybe your heart is on the highway of holiness. Maybe you've, you've entered in to that way that's going through the desert. Maybe you've entered into the river of God. Maybe your heart is in that place. But one of the prophetic words that came forward today was new beginnings. And if there's anyone here where your heart hasn't come to that place of being on God's highway, we want to invite you today to come to him. We want to invite you to receive prayer with somebody here. We want to invite you to, to enter into a relationship with God, into the place of relationship. And for those of you that are already experiencing the river of God, I believe that there's a new beginning for you guys as well. I believe that the Lord is wanting to increase things in your community here. And, and just earlier today, before we began, I was... Um, feeling just to encourage some people to begin to set aside time for the Lord and, and not just particularly in prayer, but particularly in ministry to make yourself available to the Lord, whether it means going out on the street, whether it means going to talk to your neighbors next door, whether it means getting together with a friend and maybe beginning to, to pray for people. I just believe the Lord would encourage some of you to begin to consider that 
and to, to take that on board, that there's a new beginning, there's a new level of ministry the Lord is wanting to usher in um, for a number of you.